Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hey, ghoulish gals, bitchy witches, bomb-ass banshees, and murderous mavens. It is time for another horrifically empowering episode of Whining About Herstory, the women's podcast where two longtime besties talk about women from history you may not have heard of. Well, duh. I was like trying to say chugging and then dousing ourselves in wine. And it came out as as dugging. I almost said... well, Duggan on wine. What's up? I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And God, that was such. That was so that was so close. beautiful. That was so, so close beautiful. to being a great intro. I'm sorry. I really shat the bed on that one. <laughs> and uh, everyone, please accept my sincere apology. I, uh, I she'll clean it up. Don't worry. I'll clean it up. It's fine. Well, uh, as you may or may not know, this October we are s- not celebrating, I guess, but we are highlighting some women who are on the not-so-positive end of the spectrum or who are just spooky bitches. So we're doing, like, murderers and evil river mermaids and, yeah, last year was a lot of rivers, or not rivers, murderers. You know, that was kind of our theme. Murderers, witches, and girl gangs. Yep. But like crime girl gangs, not the not like, not like the fun girl gangs. gangs. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Kelly, do you have a... We say, wine We first. wine first. I mean, I guess it probably doesn't matter as much for us. We don't October. have a sad say their name. Yeah. So I'll do the say their name. Um, so as we mentioned in last episode, our say their names this month are horrific horror podcasts or like they're kind of spooky ooky yeah so today i would like to give a massive shout out to Paige, the host of reverie true crime podcast so she does crimes and eerie events her last episode was on the deaths and events that inspired nightmare on elm street <gasps> oh i didn't and know it was that was inspired really really something. interesting so Ooh. reverie true crime podcast um, you can find her on Instagram. Actually, I don't know if she's on Instagram. But you can find her on Twitter. <laughs> Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you find us, you can find her. Um, and she is great. Like, she, she's really good. She's a one-woman horror sto- sh- show. I love that. One-woman horror show. But in a good way. She should put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Paige, you know do what it. to do. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's another woman-led podcast yes. i love that that's it's it's like we have a thing for empowering women something like that we just kind of fell into it guys it was not our plan to empower women it's just who we are it is it's <laughs> just what we love to do all right uh well i have our wine this week and it is my wine and i get to read it because we are trying to get back on track we're trying to reset our cycle you know the previous one was not working for us yeah so just like last year, we had to drink some fucking 19 cri- crimes. And last year, I believe we drank a Zinfandel, the 19 crimes Zinfandel. I think so. Yeah. Or Shiraz. No, it was the 19 crimes Shiraz. Oh. Okay. It was last week that we drank I trust a Zinfandel. You. That's right. We did the seven deadly Zins. Because I actually, when I bought this, I had to make sure it wasn't the same one we had last. Because all the labels are very, very, very similar. very similar. And so uh, if you don't know, 19 Crimes Wine is inspired by the 19 crimes that could get you deported from the UK to the prison colony of Australia. 
a trip you were most likely not to survive and even if you did survive and get there there was a whole new host of horrors awaiting you not just the fucking animals that are trying to kill you out there guys like life was hard and so uh each bottle i believe I don't, I don't know if it's a bottle or if the corks all have something different. I think, it's, I think different. It's each bottle is a different crime. Yeah. So uh, we are drinking 19 Crimes 2018 Cabernet Sauvignon because you guys know how much I have a boner for Gap Sobs. And the cork says, this is crime number 11, stealing roots, trees, or plants, or destroying them. Which is such a bummer because it just makes me think like unless you're some kind of tree hating vandal you are probably either trying to eat or keep yourself warm right and then you get sent on a fucking prison it's, ship it's to such a weird thing. australia which at the time was like civilization's asshole like as there is all the shit goes we don't think about it we only wipe occasionally only if we really feel we need to and you know and it's not that often <laughs> Uh, So I'm going to read the back here. 19 crimes turn convicts into colonists. Upon conviction, British rogues guilty of at least one of the 19 crimes were sentenced to live in Australia rather than death. I mean, alternatives? (laughs) I guess if I have to pick one, I don't know. This punishment by transportation began in 1788 and many of the lawless died at sea. Mwah, mwah. Right? It's like you're not even going to make it to the colony. That'll yeah, it's like, well, probably kill you're you. probably going to die either way. It's kind of like, how, it's almost like getting how to choose you how die? you die. Yeah. For the rough-hewn prisoners who made it to the shore, a new world awaited. As pioneers in a frontier penal colony. Penal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 12. They forged a new country and new lives, brick by brick. This wine celebrates the rules they broke and the culture they built. Download our Living Wines Labels AR app, hashtag talking bottles. So yeah, if you download the app and hold it up to the label, the picture of the prisoner will start moving and tell you about himself. We're not going to do that right now. Maybe we'll do a video of us doing it later, but I got shit to do tonight. So yeah, yeah, we do. Let's drink some wine and talk about some crime. Yeah. I get to go first. All right. Yay. I'm excited. I will say if you have a weak stomach, you might want to skip my story. This is your... We don't Actually, usually... cheers. Yeah. To spooky women. Cheers to spooky women and Kelly's apparently nausea-inducing story. Woo! Clink. It's definitely a cab sob. That's a powerful one. That's a good one. I've been drinking this one called uh rich and spicy which again is going to go on my tinder profile how many characters do they allow you to have on a tinder profile because mine is now a book don't know never had one but i've been drinking that recreationally and i really like it it's good it's not as strong as this so that kind of took me back but this is very good like i would buy a bottle and just like sip on this yeah i'm yeah. gonna have that rich and spicy on the show one of these days by the way i just need to drink a bottle that actually makes it to the studio and doesn't right. just <laughs> get drunk Drunk. Drunk. Okay. I mean, it's not like super Nazi inducing, but it, mine could be. So for a second, I thought you said Nazi inducing. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's later. that's let's not. <laughs> I mean, this this is takes place during World War One. Mussolini. Uh, no, that's World War Two. World War II. I was gonna say two, but then I was like, wait, what year was World War Two? Yeah, Mussolini of the like three big dictators at that time is definitely like 
the, the most forgotten, forgotten stepchild. Um, <laughs> Even though he fucking sucked, but yeah. he, I feel like he got murdered so early on. He's he's not big in, in a the story. horrible way. It's just I they mentioned it in one of the parades. His body through the streets, use it like a pinata. Not pretty. So the woman I'm covering today is Leonardo. Leonardo. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio. No, uh, Leonardo. She and Silly, which that might not be the correct pronunciation of her last name. I heard it pronounced several different ways, and that's the one I went with. I love how you, it, I love that because she sounds like she's going to be a horror show, but her last name sounds like she's silly. I know, right? She's silly. Leonardo, she's silly. So Leonardo was born in Montella, Italy on April 18th, 1893. I already hate it. That was a year after Lizzie Boren killed her parents. Yeah. Everything like five years before and five years after was tainted. <laughs> She was unfortunately a child of the result of rape, and mm. so she did not have a very good, her mother did not treat her very well, and while she was still a young girl, she attempted suicide twice to escape the abuse and neglect that that was given to her essentially by her mother because, you know, her mom just looked at her as this reminder of this terrible, terrible event. Yeah, again, this is why women should have to choose whether or not they have a living reminder of their horrible trauma. Right. Uh, in 1914, so years later, she's 21 now, she married a registry office clerk named Raphael Pansardi. The big thing about this was her parents did not approve of this marriage. Um, they actually had planned for her to marry someone else, someone that was better off, because that, that's all Leonardo was good for in the eyes of her parents, is to better their social standing. Because she, they definitely did not view her as no, a child that they exactly. loved. Well, they got to deal with this fucking kid. So she went against her parents, uh, obviously, and... At this point, her, she claimed that her mother cursed them and her marriage and her life from here on out. So don't disobey your parents, apparently. Oops, sorry, my alarm to take my trash out yeah, I'm gonna went off. Remember to do that when you... Sorry, remember. let me just step out of the room to remove the living trash that I am. <laughs> so she went ahead and married Raphael. Okay, can I just say... This sounds kind of like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle gender swap fanfic. So it's Leonardo and Raphael hooking yep. up. But but no, Leonardo. Yep, Leonardo. Because, I don't know, that's less hot somehow. Right. But, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for Leonardo, Raphael was her savior. You know, it was someone who actually showed her love. And so, like, she was like, no, screw you, parents. I'm... You know, marrying the man that loves me. Yeah, parents, when you treat your kid like shit, don't expect them to do what you want. So they moved to... Where did they move? Why? Like, I skipped... I must have, like, to deleted the left, that daddy, y'all. One hop this time. Right, no, but like, let's stop. I accidentally deleted the part where I talked about where they moved to. <laughs> That's interesting. But um, they moved to southern Italy. Like in, it was like a a municipality of Rome, basically. Okay. Up in the mountains. I always forget how recent Rome is. Right. Well, no, I mean Rome is still a thing. I don't know. It makes me think of like Roman Rome Empire the city. And when we're talking about now, it's got to be the early 1900s. Yeah. So 1930. Yeah. Or 1920s. I immediately imagined a bunch of people in togas with golden. Right, exactly. You know, leafs around their heads. Circlets. Circlets. That's the word you were looking for. That's a hot word. So obviously with Raphael, she hoped to have children of her own and love them, you know, as she had not been. But this curse that she had seemed to be coming true. She had 17 pregnancies during her marriage, 
lost three to miscarriage, 10 died in their youth. So she had 17 pregnancies, four living children past childhood. Oh my God. What a nightmare. Yeah. So that that's, and that's like throughout her. Even Kelly's computer's like, shut it down. And that's through like, that's her whole marriage. Like it, it didn't give me exact like time span. Like within one year, yeah, all right. those oh, pregnancies and no. children. After like when her, when her four surviving children were a little bit older and when they were younger, she would visit a lot of like fortune tellers and palm readers because, you know, she was like, well, I have this curse. Like I need to know what's going to happen and like, is there a way to, you know, get around it, blah, blah, blah. So in this in this one time, she went to a gypsy that was doing palm reading. And this is what the gypsy told her. This is a quote. In your right hand, I see prison. In your left, a criminal asylum. I don't know why, but it is inevitable. It will be one or the other. Oh, God. Did I ever tell you when my mom went to a fortune teller? No. So my mom is super not into that stuff. She, I, I think she believes in a level of spirituality. Like she, she, if I have a dream about a deceased relative or one of our cats or something, she really likes to hear it. And she actually got kind of bummed out that... My grandmother, her mother, came to me in a dream, but not her. She's like, well, what the fuck? And I was like, well, mom, you got to spend all that time with her when she was passing away. I didn't. And I think she, you know, she knew I'd tell you. But my mom doesn't believe into, like, the hocus pocus. Yeah. So she went to a, a fortune teller on a whim, kind of as a joke. And the fortune to- teller told her that she would get a new job and that she would meet a man from very far away and she would marry this man. And she was like, okay, cool, whatever. And shortly after, she got a new job that she had really wanted. And I I don't remember the circumstances, but it was kind of this, oh, my God, this is great and kind of sudden thing. And then after a friend, like, dragged her out of her apartment to go out one night, she met my father. So this is on the East Coast. This is in Baltimore. Yep. My dad was living in Illinois, so halfway across the country. He happened to be in Baltimore in that same bar. He he was there for Crazy. business and he was hanging out and he and my mom met and they danced and they did the whole meet cute thing. And then they corresponded through yeah. letters Aww. and they got married and then they had me and then their lives were over. Everything just went completely to shit after right? that. They, that was the but they had point. a good few years. <laughs> But That's yeah, she, she, she still, t- she's like, I don't know, but shit, man. <laughs> like, right. what do you say? So yeah, obviously this is not as good of a prediction as that. And, you know, being the incredibly superstitious woman that she was, she took all of these warnings very seriously, but she continued to seek out fortune tellers, hoping to have some good news about her future or her children. Unfortunately, one of them told her, you will live to see all your children die. Oh, no. Yeah, so she's just kind of getting bad news on top of bad news on top of bad news. Um, And of course, this was heartbreaking for Leonardo. Like, she had 17 pregnancies. She has four living children. She's like, no, I have to do everything in my power to protect my children. Yeah. So while all this was going on at the same time, just a little, like, side note that doesn't have anything to do with her children. In 1930, there was a big earthquake in Italy, and it destroyed their house. So now they moved from the south of Italy to the north of Italy to a town called Correggio, 
where Leonardo went on to open a small shop. She sold herbs and cakes and soaps and charms. Oh my stuff god! Like it's that. like one of those little gift shops right? in small towns where like the downtown is the only thing exactly. there. <laughs> so she and she became very popular. She was well liked. She was nice. She was considered a gentlewoman, a doting mother, and a nice neighbor. She also learned how to charm people, and she she learned that you know telling people what they want to hear is always going to gain you more friends than delivering bad news. You know what's so sad about that is that can get really toxic. So like I I definitely do that because I have this compulsive fear of people being mad at me. So I always like, oh my God. And like, I, I believe it. I'm not lying, but I'll over compliment people as a way of like defending myself right. you almost like, like sugarcoat everything just yeah to come it, off it's better. not even sugarcoating but it's like i'm gonna be so nice that they can't fucking say anything right. mean to exactly. me which you know then makes hard conversations even harder because if someone comes to you being like hey you know we need to talk about something you look so nice today is that a new shirt? Let's not talk about this. Let me just say how nice you look. And like it can disarm people and then those conversations don't happen. Right. And it's it's manipulative when you get right down it to is. it. And I'm, I'm trying to be better, but I also just really love everyone. Right. Anyways, the, the next section is literally just titled Murders. Oh, okay. We're getting right into it. So in 1939, Leonardo learned that her eldest son, whose name was Giuseppe, was going to join the Italian army. You know, this is... Italy is prepping for World War II at this point. Yeah. They're not in the war yet. Germany is already at war. And they're all kind of, this is the point where they're all kind of looking at Italy because Germany is like, you said you'd go to war if I went to war, you know? And so it was like all the attention was on Italy. So they're prepping to go into World War II. Oh my God, were we serious? I thought we were just talking hypothetically. Right, exactly. Mussolini's like, well, fuck. Yeah. And so, you know, he was going to, I don't. The stories differed on whether he got drafted or whether he signed up, but either way, he was gonna—he was joining the military. Unlike most parents, Leonardo had absolutely no problem saying that Giuseppe was her favorite child. Okay, I thought you were gonna say going into the military. I'm like, I feel like most parents have some, you know, some concerns or reservations. Okay, no, she definitely played favorites. No, she was like, this is my favorite child. Ah, uh. and so she was determined to protect him. At all costs. Not let him go blindly to his fate, to his death, whatever. And so she came to this conclusion that his safety required human sacrifice. I have heard this story. Because she, oh, no. She had read in a book or something, you know, that one life requires another. Or as, you know, Full Metal Alchemist I says, was going to say, this equivalent is exchange. FMA shit. Oh my I actually God. wrote FMA to us, or as FMA says, equivalent exchange. Oh, that was one of my favorite animes right. in high it's school. So it's good. so good. I never saw all of Brotherhood, though, because I, I, I just started I, see, to like, this, age I'm the opposite. Out. I never watched all of the original because yeah. it was like, it was ongoing, you know, as we were growing up. And so I never yeah. watched all of the original, but I've seen all of Brotherhood. I remember. And it was real good. Watching, I think it's Toonami. Where they would play the anime yeah. on Sunday, or it's not Sunday, Saturday nights on Cartoon Network. And I remember nights on the Wasn't phone it technically with a like friend. Adult Swim? Yeah, it was yeah. It was Adult Swim, but it was like their the Toonami. Maybe it's Toonami now. Doesn't matter. But I would be on the phone with a friend and we're watching the anime together from our own houses and joking about it. And like, those are some of my favorite high school Aww. memories. Or having sleepovers on a Saturday night so we could right. watch all of the anime 
and then stay up so late where it started over and showed the whole block again. Yep, yep, because at like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. it just repeated itself. And then borrowing DVDs of anime from the library and like you never got consistent episodes. That's funny. So we would like, I remember there's this one anime we watched. I'm totally off topic, but I feel like we're going to need it. I think we need this. It was called Gokudo. And yeah, no one's ever heard of it. It was really funny. But basically, we got a DVD from the library and it wasn't the beginning. So the first episode we watched was a body switching episode. So these characters who we don't know who any of them are, are in each other's bodies. And you're like, so we super don't know who anyone is. And then the next episode, we're like, who are you people? It was so confusing. That's hilarious. (laughs) Shout out Jory, who told me a cover Olga of Kiev. She did that with me because she's the fucking best. Nice. That's funny. That's yep. hilarious. <laughs> so, um, she would go on to find victims, middle-aged women, her neighbors, and some sources would say that Leonardo was a fortune teller of herself, and so these women like came to her seeking their fortunes. Other would just say that they were friends seeking, you know, friendly advice. Yeah. Um, whatever the reason, she murdered their asses. She murdered day asses. <laughs> That's uh, exactly what the news yep. report said, too. Yeah. Big, bold letters. Someone, Someone's in the archives with those sweet little white gloves going through these yellowed pages. She murdered day asses. She murdered day asses. <laughs> okay, so I'm a classy woman. So her first victim was named Faustina Setti. And this woman was a lifelong spinster. So never been married, no kids, you know, no one to really. She's twenty one, no one wants her anyway. So she's like, <laughs> and that's what I found interesting. Is just backtracking a little because when Leonardo married, she was twenty one, and I was like, that's kind of old. Um, <laughs> but no, Faustina was like fifty. 51. Oh shit! Okay, so she actually was like literally old. lifelong spinster. Oh, Faustina, and so she had gone to Leonardo again. Whether it was seeking a fortune or just, you know, lo- talking to a friend. Maybe she but was about, looking you know, for a help finding a husband. Bargain. Yeah, right. Yeah. So she was looking, you know, for help or, you know, commiseration on finding a husband. Leonardo told her that she actually knew of a guy in pa- Paola, Italy. Paola. And was like, you know, I can introduce you to him. But, you know, she she was, like, very superstitious, and people in the village knew that. So she was like, okay, I'm going to give you a set of instructions, and, you know, it'll bring you good luck, but you can't tell anyone because then it'll, like, break the luck and you'll never meet this man. Yeah, basically. it's like not telling someone what you wish for when you blow out your birthday candles. Yeah, the, the quote is, keep what I tell you a secret. If you reveal it to anyone, you will never meet him. Survival tip, if someone sends you on a weird errand and tells you not to tell anyone... First of all, don't go no, on this, the errand. Get, Second of all, tell everyone. This isn't even everyone. about going on an errand. It's more what she likes. Because what? She, okay, so, so what she did is she convinced Faustina to write letters and postcards to relatives and friends saying, you know, because she was going to mail them when she reached Paolo. So it was basically like, hey, I decided to go and meet this, not even meet this guy. I decided to go on this vacation, basically, and this is where I am. Oh, So she's like, no. write these letters, you know. Again, if someone asks you to do this, don't do don't it, do guys. It, Survival right? tip number one of the night. So she was supposed to tell them, you know, she went on vacation and she was fine. You know, and Faustina wanting to, you know, finally find someone was like, yeah, okay. Like, of course I'm going to do this. So she wrote all the letters 
She packed a suitcase and on the day of her departure, she went to pay Leonardo a visit and, you know, like pay for her services, like helping out and, you know, just say goodbye to her friend. And so when she came to visit Leonardo, Leonardo was like, let's drink a glass of wine before you leave. It's Italy. You know, let's drink a glass of wine before you leave, you know, take the edge off because I'm sure you're nervous, you know, so let's sit down and talk. And of course, the wine was drugged. How dare this bitch try to ruin wine for us? Right. That is a personal attack. Right. So she waited until Faustina was in a stupor from the drug that was in her wine and then killed her with a hatchet. Oh, no. I was really hoping hatchets and axes weren't going to be no, in it this. Is. It Because as you were saying that she was going to the house, you know what popped into my head? What? I came in like a hatchet. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I could have gone into very, very gory detail because I, I read a great book that I I'll, I bring it up at the end. And like they went into like super detail, but I'm like, nope, we're not going to like go into how hard she had to press in like it. No. Use your imaginations, guys. So she killed her with a hatchet. Hats, hatchet. <laughs> she had to swing it several times, of course, spraying blood on the floor, on the walls. Like killing someone with a hatchet is not clean. She messy, y'all. Yeah. But Leonardo was triumphant, and she'd made her sacrifice to save her son. She dr- she then dragged the body into a closet that had a nice overhead light. Oh, that's fancy as shit. So that she could take a saw and cut the body up. Oh, no. She ended up cutting the body into nine parts. So it was, you know, limbs, torso, head. I think she cut the legs in two. I was going to say, three, I can four, count seven if I split the five, torso six, in half. Seven, I hate that we're doing eight. this. Why are we doing this? And then she wants to split the torso in half. Nine. Um... But she cut it into nine pieces. Um, she, As she was cutting, she was gathering the blood into a basin. So she, the blood's going in a basin and she's chopping up the body. In her memoir, which is entitled... I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, she wrote a memoir. Bitch. She wrote a memoir and it's, it's called An Embittered Soul's Confession. <laughs> so dramatic. Oh, Anyways... This is this is this is what she wrote in her memoir, which was actually essentially like her statement in court too. like her statement in court was her memoir it was very interesting. So this is what she wrote. I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap. I stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied into the nearby septic tank. As for the blood... I waited for, until it had coagulated, dried it in an oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, Shut as well the as a bit of margarine, up. kneading all of the ingredients together. I made lots of cr- crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate some. She's like the Martha Stewart of murder. What the fuck? I can totally see her. And so you put the coagulated blood in the oven at 350 right. for 15 minutes. Well, this is why I was like, if you have a weak stomach, you might want to... Just skip. I Okay, here's the thing, though. So this is awful. That poor woman, gross. But this is a weird thing with some women killers, how they kind of incorporate this, like, happy homemaker shit into their crimes. Like, I oh, God, I just heard a story, and I can't remember what it was. But, yeah, this woman basically, like, turned her crimes into arts and crafts or something, where I was like... Wow, like the like I could see this as a tutorial on YouTube. But, I mean, you think about it, blood what, was chip it? Ed, tea cakes. Ed Gein, like he, he was crafty he made, as but, fuck. But I mean, you know, like he made skin lamps and like nipple belt. Yeah, it's just insane what these people think of. Um, anyways, so most sources say that Leonardo, re- you know, 
got Faustina's life savings, which was 30,000 lire. Um, some say it was as payment, like for helping her. Others say, you know, she just stole it off the dead body. Because if this woman's, you know, going to meet a man, she's probably not. She's got. Bring no, her she's dowry. not planning on coming back. Exactly. It's like the men with Belganes. So I came with their life savings. I'm going her. with that. She probably just stole it off the dead body. So after you know the murder and the chopping and the baking. The murder, the chopping, and the baking. Uh, Leonardo went and mailed Faustina's letters. Yeah, cover your tracks. I hate how much thought she put into this, like how clever that is. It's sinister. I know. And as time passed, you know, the weeks went on. She was happy every time her son sent her a letter because she knew this protection magic that she had done was working. Her son was still alive. However, uh, a a few weeks, months later... Mussolini finally decided to enter World War II. You know, everyone was like pressuring him and he was like, fine, I'll fucking join the war. Wait, I didn't think we were actually going to jump in the pool. I thought we were just talking about jumping in the pool. So Leonardo was like, well, shit, this might be bigger than my one sacrifice. So she was like, all right, we're going to have to do it again. (laughs) You know, we need we need more. It needs to be bigger. So this time she found a woman named Francesca Salvi. Mm. I know I like that name. That was going to be my name. Francesca? Yeah, my dad wanted to name me Claire. My mom wanted to name me Francesca. My and dad ruined it. Because it was the only name they could agree on. That's real my funny. name is literally a testament to compromise. Because they're like, well, we don't hate it. <laughs> but I, w- I, w- I found that out and I was like, I would have loved to be Francesca. That's such a cool name. What the fuck, dad? I could have called you Franny. Yeah, or Frank. I could have gone or really Francis. edgy with it. My saint was literally Francis, so I could go by Frank. <laughs> Because that was also my grandfather's name. I thought it'd be cool to be called Frank. That's cute. I've always liked masculine names. Yeah, I get it. So this woman had come to talk to her good friend, Leonardo, because she was depressed. She was low on money. You know, she wasn't doing well because of the war. You know, times were tough. You know, and she she came to commiserate with Leonardo. And she was like, you know, how is your business doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, didn't doesn't really matter. Details don't matter. Leonardo, you know, being the good friend that she is, claimed that she knew of a job at an all-girls schools in Pienza, Italy. So she's like, you know, I know, I I heard about this job. Like a friend of mine was telling me about it. You know, I can probably get you in. She's like LinkedIn and a dating app all rolled into one bitch, right? And so very similar to Faustina. Francesca was was convinced to write postcards to her friends. This time from Correggio, like it was like, okay, right, you know, mail them before you leave kind of a thing. Yeah, like announcing the departure versus saying I'm here. Exactly. So, th- yeah, she's like, you know, write letters detailing your plans to go work at the school. But don't, you know, don't tell anyone that I helped you or, you know, anything like that. You know, just tell them you're leaving. They're going to flood my DMs and it's going to be crazy. Right. Also, she decided to go and visit Leonardo before she left. Again, probably to like pay for her services and say goodbye to a friend because they all lived in like the same neighborhood. Yeah. I kind of wonder if Leonardo was like, you just pay me before you leave because that just seems to be like... It feels like you have a 50-50 shot of someone stopping by before they go on a big trip. And maybe that was very common. But I, I feel like she's thought this out too much not to be like, you just pay me before you leave. Don't right, worry about exactly. it. You don't want to carry that much money on you anyway. Exactly. So th- this is my shortest paragraph because it's basically like, repeat what already happened. Rinse and repeat. Exactly. So she v- came to visit Leonardo. She got drugged wine, was killed and chopped up with an axe. Her blood was made into tea cakes. The rest of her was dumped into a septic tank. 
Um, this murder occurred on September 5th, 1940. So we actually have like the official date for this one. And she, uh, Leonardo this time obtained 30,000, or not 30, 3,000 lire from her second victim as payment. So this, because this woman was going to get a job, she didn't have a lot of money and she didn't need to take her entire life savings with her, you know. Or maybe that was her entire life right. savings. And this woman was also, I don't, I guess it didn't say she was a spinster, but you know, it said she wasn't married. She didn't have children. It doesn't mean she wasn't married at some point. Right. I, I mean, these women are vulnerable in that way because they don't have personal connections. And the personal right. connections they do have have all been thrown off the trail. Exactly. It's scary being a single lady. Yeah. Beyonce's song only covered half the story, guys. That shit is scary. So for whatever reason, probably because, you know, World War II, she decided she needed more. She was like, nope, these two women, not good enough. We're going to keep going. The whole world is at war. This is going to require many more tea cakes. (laughs) Many more. So Leonardo, this time, found a woman named Virginia Cassiopo. Um, This woman was a former soprano singer that had sung in La Scala. So, like, she had been not necessarily, like, famous, but, you know, well known for her voice, but not anymore. Again, she was looking for a job. You know, she was older. She's fallen on hard times because of the war. Her voice wasn't as good anymore. Um, and this time, Leonardo was like, I know someone, an impresario, so like a rich guy, looking for a secretary in Florence, Italy. You know, she got, she's got the connections. Again, she was told to write letters to her friends saying, you know, where she was going, but not what, you know, like sparse on the details, but hey, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm piecing thing. out. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. This is like a better equivalent to have you ever heard of like when killers take the victim's phone and send texts to people right? like this is the hey, better one. I'm off doing shit. Don't worry about it. Or you you'd hear, you'd hear the killers wrote the family letters or like birthday cards and then like they're yeah. able to compare the handwriting and it's not them. I'm like, no, they did it right. Like she you know, had the victims you, you write don't, their own letters. Exactly. You and you they're not in distress, so it's normal. Yeah. Fuck her. Smart. Anyways, so she kind of did the same thing. And this time it was September 30th, 1940. She came, you know, to visit her friend, gave her money, whatever. And the pattern happened exactly the same. We we, we don't need to keep talking about it, guys. Right. <laughs> there was one thing a little different about this one, though. This is what Leonardo said. So again, this is from her memoir. Quote, she ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne, and after a time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. She's fucking Fight Club making the soap. Yep, she made soap to sell in her shop and give you to her neighbors. Know she Out of a person. Getting off on Feeding people bodies and like I mean, what I find you're lathering up in a dead girl. What I find interesting though is she even said like she gave some to her son and she ate some herself. Yeah. Like I'm like, why would you do that? Well, here's the thing: I get giving I it to a, her son. Yeah, and because it's it like an empowering thing. Yeah, get it eating yourself. No, I, I get eating it yourself because it, I, I see it as her enhancing her own powers because she right. clearly believes she is the one Creepy. in control of protecting her son and casting right. this shit but like to give it to your neighbors she's just being a bitch who's getting off on it right or like whoever came to visit her you know it yeah just, yeah anyway so- can you imagine can you imagine having to go into your bathroom and there's like the thinnest sliver of soap left and you know that was someone like one of your neighbors oh, it, come, it come it comes back oh don't so this one actually leonardo probably got the best deal out of this one because she reportedly received 50,000 lire and assorted gems and jewelry, which is nice. 
Yeah, it's that's nice. a fuck ton. Unfortunately for her, she kind of picked the wrong person because Virginia had a really nosy sister-in-law. So Virginia at one point had been married. Her husband was no longer in the picture. But she had a real nosy sister-in-law. Oh, my God. So this sister-in-law grew super suspicious. Even after receiving the letter, she was like, you know, this doesn't add up. This isn't something she would do. Also, I saw her entering, you know, the soap lady's house, and then she she just disappeared. Leonardo sus fam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my god. For all of you that play among us, Leonardo Leonardo, Leonardo is super sus. sus. <laughs> Soup sus. Um her sister-in-law when you know, she went to the police and was like, All right. Leonardo like, soup sus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I saw my sister-in-law go into her house. And then she disappeared. Like, I got this letter, but it's not, you know, it's weird. And so as the police were looking into it, they were like, okay. Like, they had known the other women had disappeared, too. But they were like, well, there's no foul play. Like, there's nothing to follow they up said on. They and then left. the war happened. Yeah. So they were like, well, we don't really have the resources for this. So unless something comes up where we're going to ex- um, suspect foul play, we're just going to leave it alone. So, you know, when the sister-in-law reported, the investigators were like, okay, we have three missing I, I don't want to say elderly but like older women that are you know don't have family that all disappeared from like the same neighborhood they were all friends with Leonardo and they were like okay you know Leonardo's super well liked and respected it's probably not her but you know it's a little suspicious so we'll, so we'll talk to her maybe she knows something I am shocked that they even looked into it just because I think it would have been so easy especially at that time to be like they're I don't in know. the middle of a war they could have easily just been like you know what we don't have the resources to deal with this or you just, have a letter saying she left it's fine exactly like there's nothing to really lead them to suspecting foul play except this woman going in there like I don't like this I don't exactly. like this one bit they could no. have easily just been like you know what you're hysterical it's I mean fine. Uh, Historically, the police have ignored greater claims than this. Exactly. But, you know, they were like, whatever. We'll, you know, look into it. The least we can do. Right. So Leonardo was brought in for questioning. And at first she seemed kind of confused, like, why am I here? And then they were like, oh, you know, we just have some questions about the disappearances of some women. And basically when they asked her, like, without even prompting, she happily confessed. Oh, shit. No, she just like... She was super happy. She recounted all her stories and like talked about how she cut them up and how she baked them into tea cakes. She redid her YouTube tutorial video. Yeah. No, she was super excited. And she even she went out and was like, "Okay, I this is like this is the reason I killed them. I had you know, I lost all these other children and I had to protect my son. The police were shocked and I'm pretty sure a few of them probably ran to the toilets because obviously they had you know like she had given them tea cakes at different points because they were yeah. like it's a small village and so like I can only assume that they were like oh god I, I well and I don't think they were suspecting she did anything I think it was more like hey, no do you know what's up with these ladies all just exactly like town? they're like hey like- a bunch of your friends left like do you know anything about it because I I don't think she thinks what she's doing is crazy no 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 no, no. She doesn't. She she believes she's protecting her son. But here's the interesting thing. This is like a sub note. It's in it's involved, but it's a sub note. Um, so at this time, most mental health professionals viewed psychopaths as a male only thing. But a lot of them kind of had to agree that Leonardo, who was dubbed the soap maker of Correggio. The soap maker of Correggio, not the hatchet to the face nope, lady. Soap maker. Um 
she like kind of showed the world and like particularly the mental health world that no women can be just as remorseless and brutal as men like women can just as easily be psychopaths technically the the true term is antisocial personality disorder yes but they can have it just as bad as men can like and she was one of the first like women to really show that this is why we need feminism and gender equality guys because women can be monsters too if we can be ceos and if we can be in the boardroom we can be murderers (laughs) yeah exactly so leonardo was tried for murder Obviously. In Reggio (laughs) Emilia in 1946. She remained completely unrepentant. She did not care. And she actually went so far as a few times to correct the account when they got it wrong. Oh, my God. I mean, she's a She's like, no, 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 no. But she's making this very easy on everyone. No, she, it was insane. So this is what a newspaper wrote. At her trial in Reggio Emilia last week, poet, oh, yeah, and she was a poet, Poetess Leonardo gripped the witness stand rail with oddly delicate hands and calmly set the prosecutor right on certain details. Her deep-set dark eyes gleamed with a wild inner pride as she concluded, quote, I gave the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off the kettles, to my country, which was so badly in need of metal during the last day of the war, or days of the war, end quote. Yeah, so she was, like, super into it. Like... I almost feel like she was just like, well, like, I don't get why I'm in trouble here. Like, you all would have done that's the same my, that's thing, my guess right? Too. Like, I don't think she understands that she what she no, did is wrong. she does. Okay. Because she was diagnosed as being manic. Not manic in, like, today's sense of the not word. Not manic the way I always say I'm Yeah, manic. not manic where you're, like, have a ton of energy and, like, sometimes it means you're overly happy. Not manic like that. Back then, it, it, me- it meant part of her behavior was at least a little bit compulsive. That's ma- Manic back then, that's what it meant, is that okay. part of your behavior is compulsive. However, she was held responsible for her crime, so she wasn't deemed insane. She Good. was deemed fit for trial because she knew what she did was wrong, but she did it anyways and didn't give a shit. And that's usually the legal definition of insanity. If you could tell right from wrong at the time of the crime. Exactly. So, no, she knew what she was doing was wrong. She just believed that it was for the gr- like the greater, the greater good. good, basically. Man, that was a theme during World War II, wasn't right? it? So she was found guilty of her crimes, obs, and <laughs> sentenced to 30 years in prison and three years in a criminal asylum. Just as the palm reader had predicted. Oh my God. Leonardo died of a cerebral apoplexy, which is basically like a type of bleeding in your brain. Okay. In the Women's Criminal Asylum in Paluzzi on October 15th, 1970. So just a few days ago, but along many years. Holy shit. It rem- however, it remains unknown whether the other prophecy ever came true. No known sources can say one way or another if she outlived the rest of her children. Oh. So we don't know. What's interesting is there are a number of artifacts from her case, including the pot in which the victims were boiled, on display in Rome at the Criminological Museum, and I really want to go there. I would love to go there, and then we can swing by the Vatican after exactly. to not feel so bad Just about stand it. stand there. Uh, <laughs> I'm healed! <laughs> so yeah, that's Leonardo, and there. so I read excerpts from a book called Masters of True Crime, Chilling Stories of Murder and the Macabre, which is like a collection by different authors on cases. So this particular one was in this book was chapter six called The Grim Keeper by Catherine Ramsland. And so this it was specifically about Leonardo. And so like 
I used some of that along with other sources, but it was it seemed like a really interesting book. So I would definitely say go check that out. So there's another shout out, say their name to another empowered woman. Woo! Uh, yeah. So that was Leonardo and it's Twisted AF. Oh, my God. Don't I, eat don't eat tea cakes, people. Don't oh. eat chocolate looking tea cakes. You know what's terrible is I really want a scone now from the I local know. coffee shop because you're saying tea cakes and I'm like... I don't think I've ever had a tea cake, but I have this very specific image in my head and it always just looks delicious. And I imagine it having the consistency of a scone that really like dense, but kind of cakey right? and moist. I want like a really good, like, so I went up to the cities, you know, you were with me and I bought a bunch of bakery oh, items. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but one of them was a oatmeal scotcheroo. So it was oatmeal with like butterscotch chips in it and it was so fucking good and I'm like I just I just want to bake more of those see and you gave me a snickerdoodle from that place and I was like I I wasn't into getting a bunch of baked goods because I had already spent too much money and I'm like I don't need to fucking eat but that snickerdoodle was an experience I'm glad they so there's a place up in the city so if any of our listeners live in the Minnesota, in the Minnesota area uh, in the Twin Cities in St. Paul there's a place called Bread and Chocolate and they're I mean, their paninis are really good, but their pastries are to freaking die for. They're banging. And if they have the oatmeal scotcheroos, you should buy some because they're delish. Can I just say, you open the story with, if you have a sensitive stomach, watch I know, and now we're talking, and now about, we're talking about eating pastries. So, Fuck yeah. Us. All right. I don't have a sensitive stomach. <laughs> Clearly. Well, thank you for that horrifying story. This is why the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles never got together, because that's what would have happened. Yeah. So I am also covering kind of an old school murder that takes place during a world war, the first one to be exact. The Great War. The Great War. They're all great. (laughs) Uh, Emily. That's a line from Archer. I'm not actually saying wars are great, you guys. So uh, I am covering the Angel Makers of Nagariv. I have no idea who because you know are. how I love a good group. Project. But I'm real excited. Really quick disclaimer: if I am pronouncing Nagariv wrong, deal with it. Where's I found multiple pronunciations, and this is just the one I knew I could execute yep. consistently. That, that's how it was with her last name. I'm like, all right, even though I only ever said it once. Yes, I see, and I say this multiple times. Oh, I'm sure you have to. All right. Picture it. Hungry, 1911, in the small farming village of Nagariv. Life here is rough, especially if you're a woman. Traditional gender roles were strictly enforced and expected, but in addition, women really didn't have any autonomy. They had no say in their finances, properties, their bodies, etc. Like you name it, it was not up to them. They couldn't even decide when to have periods. I, I kind of doubt that, but okay. <laughs> it's called hyperbole, and it's fine. It's a choice. The men of the village worked hard, but also drank hard, and were not always the nicest to their wives. Work hard, play hard. Work hard, beat your wives hard? No. no. <laughs> Traditionally, marriages were arraigned when girls were teenagers to adult men. Yep. The girls were not allowed to object. It was basically like, this, this is, is who you're, you're marrying. marrying. Deal with it. Yeah. 
Divorce was completely out of the question, even in the case of abuse, because what then literally, because then everyone would be getting divorced every 10 minutes because there was a lot of domestic violence. Yeah. If you were an unmarried woman, however, you didn't have it much better and you better not think about having sex. I'm sorry. Should I have spelled that out for our more sensitive listeners? Nope. S-E-X. Yell it. Also known sex. as fucking. <laughs> Copulation. <laughs> Boning. The monster with... No, the beast, the beast with, with two, two backs. backs. The monster mash. Ooh. Let's just keep naming ways to say sex. That's going to be the rest of our podcast. <laughs> Pregnancy out of wedlock could cause a woman to be completely ostracized by the community. And abortion was illegal and some turned to suicide to avoid the shame. So it was... See, I thought you were going to say like they were put to death because that did happen in some communities. It could. If you had abort... If you... um. Had a child out of wedlock. They were like, nope, we're just going to murder you. Yep. And the child, usually. So fun. So, yeah, there's no way to prevent pregnancy. And there's nothing. There's no support for if you do get pregnant. And there's no way to terminate a pregnancy. So what do you do? I definitely want to go back to that time. It just sounds like so much fun. So, you know, the idea, like, people are like, if you could travel to any year or what year do you think you I always say, I'm like, I would have to be able, I would have to have a guaranteed time frame and way back to my own time and i would also have to be hella rich and super white probably like i I would have to be we are super white i know but you know like i I would have to be like the or like we talked about wherever i was or like we talked about it would have to be like nightmare before christmas where you can't like see or like you can see everything that's going on, but you can't interact with anyone. Okay, we. Were I would be okay with it. That's what that I just said. I said. Yeah. I said like we were talking about. Like I would be okay with that. That that would. Actually I would still really want to cool. know that I'm coming back, but oh, for sure, because unless you were a straight white wealthy landowning male, in most cases, and obviously it depends on where you are in the globe, but to most Eurocentric cases. senses, life kind of sucked. Even even if you were like. What like if you were Irish at a certain time, things were not good. If you're Jewish, things were not good. Like I could just list this off for days. But this isn't about that. This is about women not having autonomy over their bodies. Yeah. Even if you became pregnant while married, since there were no contraceptives, many families would have children whom they couldn't afford to care for, burying them deeper into poverty. I thought you were talking about like burying the children for a second. And I was like, that that's terrible. Yeah, that is terrible. This isn't that kind of story. It's Aww. a different kind of horrible story. Actually, it might a little be that kind of story. We'll oh, get geez. to it. So this is the world that middle-aged Julia Fezix was living in when she arrived in Nagariv. Julia was a midwife and a widow. Well, she was kind of a widow because her husband had mysteriously gone missing. Ooh. Ooh. And I read in different... So pl- she was a black widow. <laughs> Probs. Um, and I read in a bunch of different places. I read three different names for her because her husband's name was allegedly Julius. So then she was called Julia. I read that her name was Susanna. But then I read another woman who I mentioned here's name was Susanna. So I just called her Julia because it's easy. Yeah. This is like the early 1900s, guys. Shit was not written down very clearly. Everyone had terrible handwriting. They were all your doctor. As a midwife, Julia helped deliver babies. But since traditionally midwives helped with all gynecological needs, she also performed abortions. Now, like I mentioned, it was 100% illegal at the time. And between 1911 and 1921, she was arrested 
10 times for performing abortions. But lucky for her, kind of unlucky for everyone else, but for different reasons, she was acquitted every time by sympathetic judges. And they may have had sympathies like towards the Bali autonomy of women. Right. uh, Or probably more to the fact that Julia was the only medical professional in the area and they didn't want to screw themselves if one of them got sick. Yeah. Because if you put your only quote unquote doctor in the hospital, what are you going to do when you get crabs? (laughs) It wasn't long before village women all knew of Julia's reputation and she became a valued resource for any woman who found themselves with an unwanted pregnancy in a family way in trouble. Like all the terms for unwanted pregnancy can be so frightening. In a a family way. Yeah. That's probably the like softest and nicest term. Yeah. She even took on an assistant named Susanna Ola, who's also known as Auntie Susie, and that's how I refer to her because that's devilishly cute. Life in Nagarev wasn't great, but it was what it was. And then in 1914, World War One happened. Yay. As per usual, most of the able-bodied men went off to war. With the men all gone, the women had to step up and do the farming and the hard labor, along with raising the children, cleaning, having their periods, whatever. All the hard woman work. You get to keep all the shit you already have to do and then add double. Quick disclaimer, not that you have to have a period to be a woman. There we go. It was crazy hard, but they were doing it. And they were doing it on their own without getting beat by their husbands. So it was kind of a great trade-off. Like, well, yeah, I have to work harder, but I'm also not getting beat by my husband, who then gets to pump a baby into me whenever he feels like he's horny. Right, exactly. The women suddenly had a taste of freedom they had never had before. They were in control of what they did and weren't relegated to being bang maids. I like that. That's yeah. a good way to say that. Well, that's, a, that's an It's Always Sunny reference for those of you yeah. savvy listeners who I know. know. It's still great, though. They also got a taste of sexual freedom. I've been really trying, baby, (sighs) to not get sued by you. A POW camp was set up just outside of town. Hot, filled with captured soldiers. Super hot? (laughs) Apparently to the women it was, because this POW camp was, I guess, pretty lax, because the village women began shacking up with the male prisoners. And I don't think they were like, I don't, like, I think of a POW camp and I think of a prison with like the yeah. barbed wire in the walls, but I think they just had these dudes just chained up out. all together and they would do work. They would do like hard labor and things. Well, so. I mean, some of them weren't even like that. They were, some of them were literally just like, think of like a homeless camp. Some POW camps were just like that, where it's yeah. just basically like a bunch of dudes in tents. Yeah. So apparently those temps were a huge turn on. <laughs> so you know those kids who live really sheltered lives and then get to college and they get that first taste of freedom and That's they go completely were. overboard? That's exactly what this was. The women were living it up, enjoying their freedom and independence, even though it was really hard work. Like, I want to want to undercut Life here was rocking sucked. Right. But they were doing things their own way. Finally. Exactly. They it's it's incredible because even if you live in a shitty situation, if you have control over that situation in some way. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm doing this and I can be proud of this. But all things must come to an end. 
At the end of World War I, which everyone else was super jazzed about except for these ladies, the men returned to Nagariv, probably hoping to get back to normal life. And we see this a lot after large conflicts. Gender roles become blurred out of necessity during the conflict. But then in the aftermath, everyone is so desperate to forget the fighting that there's this stronger commitment to traditional values. It's like this really... Not always, but It's a strong rubber rubber band recoil. Like, imagine the 50s in America. It was all about the happy white middle-class nuclear family. Right, it was... You know, the pretty housewives, the, you know, 2.5 children. Yeah. I'm sorry, 2.5? Yeah, that's the average. If you, that's, well, that's the average now. I don't know what it was back then. But so when you hear people like talk about the American dream, that's what they'll say. They'll say, you know, your white picket fence and your 2.5 children. Do you get to pick what half of the child you get? No. Depends on how much money you make. Are they just like really short? (laughs) But also, going back to the story, so what we also see in the aftermath of large conflicts, so those who have tasted freedom and independence don't want to be put back in their place. So again, in the 50s, there was this big push in, a, in the United States after World War II towards traditional American values, but the women who had gotten a taste of freedom, like... Their their reins had kind of been loosened, and more women women did go into the workplace. Right, more of them were like, "No, ways. I want to stay in the workforce." And that's where we get Tupperware parties. Yay! And Avon ladies. Ah, Mary Kay. So that's certainly how the women of Nagarive felt. Reportedly, when the women came to Julia complaining of their drunken, abusive husbands coming back, she replied, "There's a problem with him. I have a simple solution." Julia and Aunt Susie, both clearly enterprising ladies, sensed an opportunity. They began boiling the arsenic off of fly paper and giving the poison to women upon request. There was a high demand. (laughs) It's estimated that 50 women took Julia and Auntie Susie up on their offer. But Julia had strict rules to poisoning because, again, this is Fight Club. The first rule of Poison Club is you don't talk about Poison Club. The second rule of Poison Club is you don't talk about Poison Club. The third rule is you couldn't poison children. That's valid. The next rule, you can only poison your husband if he's abusive. Right. No no poisoning him just because you're like, well, I want to I wanna sleep with someone else. Exactly. You, you can't just be like, I just feel like poisoning him tonight. I don't know. It sounds like fun. There's nothing good on TV. My poison my husband... What is it? Feeling cute might delete later. (laughs) Might poison my husband. Who knows? (laughs) Feeling cute might poison my husband. IDK. (laughs) Uh, And then finally, you can't talk about poisoning with women in happy marriages because they are not on your side. They are happy. Fuck them. (laughs) However, these rules only stuck for so long. Again, this is freshman year of college. I've never had freedom. Fuck everything. Men around the village began dropping like flies. Some women poisoned abusive husbands, but others seemed to be much more liberal with doling out the arsenic. They were poisoning relatives they didn't like and even, sad, their own children. <sighs> and that is truly awful, horrific. And it, But it made me think of what I was saying earlier, where if you have a child that you can't afford, you are deeper into poverty. Like, you, you can't afford to have this child. So I can only imagine this was like, I get extra money now because I don't have an, another mouth no, to feed. Still- truly horrific, not making excuses. 
I'm not surprised, though, I guess is no, what I'm No, I'm saying. not either, but it still makes me sad. It's very sad. I was, I was talking to Emily earlier about, like, who I will and won't cover this month. Because, like, I'm like, I won't touch. There's, like, people that used to, like, take in babies and say they would find them adoptive homes, but they would kill the babies. And I'm like, nope, not touching that. Not yep. touching that with a 10-foot pole because that is depressing and I don't want to read it. Yeah, we're not that podcast, guys. We're trying to keep it light, you know, with a cult of murderous poisoners. Yeah, you know, and people baking people into tea cakes. This is supposed to be fun. You want a tea cake? I kind of do. Know. Damn it. I, I should have had dinner with you. You should have. hungry. It was steak. It was delicious. One woman, Marie Cardos, took it upon herself to murder her husband her lover, oh, and her 23-year-old son. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Is it the son that you draw the line? No, it's the fact that he's 23. He's on his own. Yeah, but maybe he was just like a really big disappointment. <laughs> he didn't go to medical school like she wanted. Like, I mean, it's all terrible, but I'm like, man, that your child is probably out living his own life. Just why? Right. Like, he, he's not dependent on you. He's an adult. He's probably shacked up with some teenager per tradition. Right. Like, like why? He's just fucking obnoxious. You know, he, he was getting back at she was getting back him for all those times where he's like, why? Why? God, no. You want to know why? Arsenic is why. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, she's a fucking monster. And that becomes very apparent in this next sentence. Ooh. When recounting the murder of her son years later, Marie said that her son, as her son was dying, she asked him to sing her a song. <gasps> who, okay, first of all, who the fuck asked someone that's dying, will you sing to me? Will you expend energy to please me? Fuck you. In the middle of him singing, he clutched his stomach in pain and died. According to her, she found the whole thing, quote, Delightful. Oh, I thought you were going to say hilarious. I Bitch. Mean, one of the two. Delightful That's, is almost worse. I'm surprised he like actually did it. But at the same time, I'm sure he was like, okay, maybe if I do this, she'll save me. I don't know if he knew though. Because I'm, I don't, I don't know what their relationship was like. Maybe he was That's a really true. good son and she was just a fucking bitch. Right. I mean, clearly she was some sort of psycho. Yeah, she was some, some sort of something. Another woman, Maria Varga. A lot of Marisa Maria's. She killed seven members of her family, including her husband, which she considered a Christmas present to herself. Guys, you know, we are great advocates for treating yourself, but this is not the way. No. The death rate in the area spiked so severely that it became known as the murder district. I like that they were like, yeah, we don't know that they're being murdered, but they're probably being murdered. Yeah, it, it, this is one of those things that the townspeople kind of picked up on what was going on before the the authorities did pick up on what's going what was going on and then could do anything about it. Right. Uh the area wasn't the only thing that got a super fun nickname. Yay. The women themselves began calling themselves the Angel Makers of Nagarif. So they're putting this like try try and put this positive religious spin on it. Yeah, it's like no, uh I've... angels of death who think that they're doling out mercy. Like again, if you're killing abusive people, yes, I understand that you're theoretically making the world a better place. You still shouldn't do it, but you know, a la Ruth Ellis last week. 
But when you're just like wantonly murdering people, no, you don't get to call yourself an angel. Well, Fuck and I, you. I think what it is, it's kind of that absolute power corrupts absolutely. These women felt very justified because their lives had been absolute shit up until this point, and it became normal. Like I'm just imagining them get getting together and like ta- swapping stories over tea of the the men they and the people they had killed, and like getting into it. We were talking about like how your woman like when she commented about her black eye and it was just like normal conversation oh yeah he gave me a black eye on new year's super sweet guy yeah now i know what you're wondering kelly how did all these people start dying and no one was stepping in like the place was called the murder district by locals what is happening i was a little concerned but i figured you were getting to it well, Julia and Auntie Susie had some very special help in the form of Susie's relative, maybe cousin, maybe sibling, who the fuck knows, who worked at the coroner's office filing death certificates. Oh my so god, so they, they they were forging death certificates so they looked like they died of natural causes? He was able to forge yes. the causes of death as not to draw suspicion with a ton of arsenic poisonings. In one instance, a victim had been thrown in the river after being poisoned, and uh, he listed the death as drowning. Like, I don't know who that man is, but good on him. I mean, they must have paid him pretty well. There has to be. Well, they're rolling in arsenic money. But there well, has the other to thing be, is they're like, OK, guy, ladies, you can't murder him because if you murder him, we're all fucked. He was staying single as shit. Right? <laughs> He's like, no, no, I don't want to have sex. But mm. there there had to be some kind of level of creativity to this. Like, well, there has was to there be. a spreadsheet so he could keep track of like, OK, OK, we've had three people die this way in the last two months. We need to move on to this other way. Yeah. Like, OK, here's the cycle for the first half of the month. We're going to have heart attacks and drownings. And, and then we're going to move over seizures here and some brain aneurysms and accidental deaths. Yeah. And then we're just going to throw in a few unknowns to keep things spicy. Right. And then we'll just cycle. Yeah. And then you just cycle. Yeah. I have a spreadsheet. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's all very organized. <laughs> It's like people who live these double lives. Like, how? who has the energy? Who has the time? Oh, right. When you find out, like, people are, like, married to two people and, like, have full families with two yeah. different women. I'm like, how? Or even, like, cheating. Like, I, I don't understand how you that, have the energy. That's why supposedly, like, one way to s- supposedly, like, see if your, ch- like, spouse is cheating is if they only call you by, like, pet names. Like, oh, and, like, I've super generic pet names. Yeah. That's not always true women because I call my husband pet names and I'm not cheating. But, like, that's supposedly, like, a sign. Like, I would maybe do it if if your husband maybe didn't call you pet names and then all our boyfriend and then suddenly started. I would be a little suspicious. And only called you that? Yeah, exactly. So when authorities did look into the high death rate, they were shown these death certificates and went, Okay, I guess because right, they they're didn't, like, eh, I guess whatever. They didn't have the expertise to say otherwise, and honestly, they didn't have anything to go on. There was no evidence. Well, they probably didn't super care. Like it's not like they're rich white people. Well, and the other thing is, I, I, I think this is hungry. So I'm pretty sure they're all white. I'm imagining like no, a but bunch I meant of like, like bundled peasants. You know, you know what I mean. Like they're, they're, they're not, not they, like these well aren't super to privileged do piece exactly. People. They're yeah, they're poor. That's why I said rich farming I villagers. Said rich white people. <laughs> the key word there. They're not rich people. You have to qualify the white people. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, here's the thing. It, it kind of reminds me of your case. Like the cops don't go looking no. for that shit. You know, it it's usually has to be brought to their attention. Right. Some Somebody way. has to go. Hey, hey. That's super sus. Yeah. 
I don't know. Not good or you've sus, bro. Soup sus. Soup sus. All the villagers suspected what was happening, though, even if the authorities couldn't really do well, I mean, anything half about of them it. Were in on it. The men caught on to the pattern that the men who were dying were all married and thought it was marriage that carried some kind of curse. They're not wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> marriage kills relationships. No, it doesn't, guys. Don't go into a marriage with that toxic thinking and then it will kill your relationship. Yeah, I like my marriage. Marriages in the area dropped significantly as men tried to fend off the mysteriously taking ill. Oh, my God. I from love, I love some that. kind of marital, like, m- murderous STD. I don't know. Nagariv was not the only village where there was this uh, where this was happening. In the nearby village of Tizakert, don't tell me to say it again, more don't people were me. mysteriously dying. Later, when they unearthed bodies, they found they were pumped full of arsenic. So, like, the women from nearby villages were all paying Julia yeah. and Aunt Susie a visit. Yeah. Apparently, the first two rules of Poison Club were not heeded very well. Don't talk about Poison Club. Allegedly, the first killing took place in 1914, and it wasn't until... 1929 that people really started to catch on yeah 15 years of murders there are two stories as to how the murder ring was finally exposed the first a woman mrs sasbo was caught in the middle of poisoning her patient's wine more of her patients came forward accusing her of the same thing and mrs sasbo folded implicated more women whom she had known. I can't fucking do Basically, this. she rolled on the other women. There we go. Uh, she told authorities exactly who gave them the poison, Julia and Aunt Susie. I also read an article from 1929 that described Mrs. Osbo ha- as having killed her husband. And that article said, quote, It seems that the percenter, though an important dignitary in the village, had several times in succession come home somewhat under the influence of the native wines, much to the annoyance of his wife. She's never named in this quote, by the way. Seeing as her scoldings made no impression, the lady, who was something of a prohibitionist, remarked that she had been married to a drinker just about as long as she intended to be. I love how gently they, they're like, well, he was a very important man, first of all. First of all, he was very and he important. Was, and he might have drank just a little. Just a little too much. And his wife was a total fucking bitch about it. <laughs> That's exactly what Not that he deserved to die, but. And then, yeah, they never say her name. Well, I think maybe in the article they do, but like, I don't know, it just hit me that no, they this, prob- where they're describing they the murderer. They said Mrs. and then whatever his last yeah, name was. I probably never said her first I name. Because I call her Mrs. Sosbo because I did not get her first name yeah, exactly. at all. Well, that's why like, I never got the sister-in-law's name, which is why I was just like, her sister-in-law. Who's a like, fucking hero. Right? Like, guys, hug your nosy sister-in-laws today. They might save. They might, well, not save you. They may save They others. may find your killer. <laughs> This put Julia uh, on authorities' radar. When questioned, Julia denied everything and even challenged authorities, saying they didn't have the evidence to prove their claims. I'm just imagining her sitting back in the chair like, oh, yeah? Prove it. Prove it, bitch. (laughs) And honestly, she had a point. They could totally link the bodies to suspects close to them, but how do they prove she was the one who provided the poison? It's not like she was handing out receipts. Well, luckily for authorities... Julia would give them everything they needed. All they had to do was release her from questioning. Julia 
immediately started visiting all the homes of all of the angel makers of Nagari oh, God, to tell them that the cops were on to them. The arsenic shop was officially closed down. And most importantly, no one had better say a fucking word. Rule number three, do not talk about Poison Club. Seriously. Rule number one through eight. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get into the no killing children. Right. It's a much less important rule, apparently, to these assholes. So she might as well have just given the cops a list of names because the cops follow Julia to each home. But instead of arresting everyone, because again, this shit is flimsy. Like she's a very popular right. person in the village. She could have said that oh, I was doing house calls like you you ain't got shit. It's right. not like she's they a were standing there while she was like, yo, the poison, keep it on the DL. So the cops kept watching and it's a good thing they did because this shit got even crazier. According Wouldn't everyone just like rushed to kill whoever they wanted to kill with the remaining arsenic they had. It's actually better Ooh. because that just seems like on brand. But this is bad shit. So according to the most recent census, the number of deaths significantly outnumbered the number of births in the area, which was crazy because, again, no birth control. This had never happened. And authorities decided to exhume the bodies of the recently deceased to investigate and confirm their suspicions. So they're like, OK, we have documented a crazy number of deaths here. We have someone saying that women are poisoning their husbands and Julia soups sus. Right. Like, so okay, now let's try like, and put we two have two enough. Together. We have enough to start digging up bodies. And, and this is when you didn't need a bunch of paperwork. You could just start digging. It was fine. No one cared. The angel makers of Nagari were determined to cover up their crimes once and for all. Under the cover of darkness on a foggy moonlit night, the women went to the graveyard. A lone owl hoots in the distance as a crow calls. <laughs> their plan was to dig up the bodies of their victims and swap them with those of people who had died naturally so that the the cops couldn't tie the killings with the women. And this must have been such a panic move because I read somewhere that earlier on, Julia told people that arsenic could not be traced in a dead body. It totally fucking can, okay? So anyone who's getting ideas... Stop it. But in case anyone isn't aware of this, digging up bodies and grave swapping is fucking hard. So because the ladies are working smarter, not harder, they decide to swap the headstones instead, which is like so fucking sinister. Like what officer could go to a graveyard and be like, I don't think those stones are like where they were yesterday when I was right. Like, I, I feel like that one was over there. Maybe that one. Yeah. Was here. I don't know. Exactly. And I mean, how and it kind of completely discredits all of the body. Like you can't trust any headstones to link That's to any sad. bodies. That's really sad. It is sad, but it gets less sad. Okay. Because that's when the cops showed up to make mass arrests, yep. apprehending 38 suspects that night. I was like, let me guess. The cops just waited. They were following Julia like the whole fucking time. They were following oh, everyone. Oh, Julia went too? Actually, I don't know if Julia was there, but they were following everyone that Julia had visited, I'm sure. In total, 26 women were tried for murder. While some were found guilty and spent some time in prison, seven were sentenced to life in prison, which is a lot fewer than I thought. Right? And like, that eight seems were like a sentenced very small to death. Number. So what's eight plus seven, 15? So like over half of the 26 who were tried were either spent life in prison Still. or were put to death while a bunch of others spent time in prison. I bet the women who uh, killed their children or like came out saying it was delightful, it was a Christmas present, got right, those are the ones put to that, death. Yeah. 
One of the eight to be executed was Auntie Susie after she was found guilty of being the poison delivery girl, which did not look very good on her resume. Julia hadn't been in the graveyard that night, but the cops were coming for her and she knew it. She, She must have been or like they apprehended her later. I don't know. But they were coming for Julia and she knew it. So That's why you just get out of Dodge. Apparently she had a house like at the end of this long main street. Okay. So the story is that she saw the cops coming, like walking down the street. And according to Maria Gunya, not a killer, good Maria, uh, who was only a child at the time and whose father helped the authorities in their investigation, Julia could see the police walking up the street to her home. Quote, When she saw the gendarmes approaching, she realized that it was all over for her. By the time they reached the house, she was already dead. She took some of her own poison. End quote. Apparently, she was found surrounded by pots of boiling fly paper. Which so seems like even, a dramatic which flair is funny to me. Because, well, yeah, because she said she was going to stop doing it. So I'm like, why would yeah. she be making more? Exactly. The killings made international headlines. An article from the American Weekly in 1929 described the network of women as a, quote, widow-making syndicate. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Legacy, because it just ends. It just ends. I don't feel like there's a really good resolution other than, yeah, a bunch of women were in prison and put to death, and it fucking sucked. Well, I mean, kind of right for the dead people. Yeah, I was like, uh, I don't think it sucks that they were put no, in prison. No, 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 no. So we will never know the full extent of the angel makers of Nagarive's crimes. The poisoners were identified in multiple towns in the area, and the death toll is estimated to be over 300. And only God knows, because this was going on for 15 years. If right. at oh, yeah, least there's no 50 way women were involved, there's no only way that 26 that was... were nailed exactly. for there it. There was like, no way that was all of that's them. That's like half of the women that were estimated to have actually been poisoning. Exactly. Uh, because each poisoner was working on their own with their own motivations instead of a single killer, it's hard to determine the true number of victims and even the true number of murderers. Oof. While the women all had their own motivations for who they killed, the oppressive culture is commonly cited as a key factor for the beginning of the poisonings. It was like almost a gateway drug. It went from like right. these and then they just seemingly justified acts like my husband beats me and I hate and it's awful and I can't live like this to... I don't like this person. It it, it kind of, it, it reminds me of the witch trials, except it came from more honest is not the word I'm uh, phrase I'm looking for, but like I, I think I know what you're trying to get a at. more relatable place other yeah. than just like being like I don't like her. She's a fucking witch, and then it spiraled. It was like my husband's beating me, and then it spiraled. Yeah, it's a little more understandable. That being said, once the seal was broken, it seemed that poison became the go-to solution for anyone they didn't like. Now, if this happened today, I don't think we could ever forget it. But the dark legacy of Nagariv has seemed to fade from the public consciousness. But the women did leave a lasting legacy. As Maria Gunya, so the little girl who I described before, later described, in the wake of the poisonings, the men's behavior to their wives, quote, improved markedly. And that is the angel makers of Nagariv. Jesus. And here, I want to do just a quick disclaimer. I found, I so I listened to multiple podcasts about this. I read a ton of articles about this. And the narrative was always kind of different. So that I just kind of pieced lot, together yeah. something that I can make cohesive. The details may not be exactly spot on, but you get the the broad strokes and the, the spirit of it and all that. Yeah. Um, you get the gist. 
Exactly. So if Oof. this is different from another podcast or story you've read, I am sorry. This is just who I am. So Emily, what are you thankful for? Um, I am thankful. Okay. So I first of all, I'm thankful that you and I were able to do a a little girls weekend yeah, last weekend. That was fun. Um, so I had I th- I think I said this hey, in the last, last episode. Um, yeah, Jared and I tried to take a hiking trip. It didn't work because PTSD fucking sucks. And so this was like my makeup, and it was it was great because Kelly was the one that's like, I got you. Let's do this. Let's do something fun. It was fun. And uh, we did go to the science museum and saw some dinosaur bones and some really cool stuff. We saw a, a little exhibit on pseudoscience, and it had a whole section about radium. Yeah. Keep that in the back of your pocket, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, because it's going to be a thing. Um, and then we saw uh, in the gift shop that Kelly didn't even want to go into. I'm just gonna <laughs> I know. Say I that. was like, we need to leave. I'm like, no, gift shop now. I need to do Christmas shopping. There was a whole section on women in science. It's awesome. And Kelly and I, it was basically 10 minutes of us going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I know her. We covered her. I covered her. You covered her. Right. And, and then being like, okay, I can't buy all of this. It was so hard but uh both of us got these shirts that have a bunch of wits, yeah. we'll, female we'll, scientists we'll post a picture on, of it and we've we've covered not most of them but quite a few of them and, and some, some of them, of them we, we won't, won't like marie curie and florence nightingale right. both badasses i also got a a glass that has alice ball on it i got a puzzle of women in science and it actually came with a poster too so that'll have oh, to go did? up on the wall oh that's awesome i'm excited i know i didn't know that until i opened it I but like, i need to go back yeah, I know. <laughs> now they do have some of the stuff on their online shop like they have that uh votive candle oh that you almost they bought have ada lovelace saint candles i almost bought one for kelly that ha- was, was ada, ada lovelace, lovelace yeah. yeah um they have that and i think they have some of the socks okay that will make right. my they Christmas don't have, shopping they don't have a easy. lot of the other stuff well because i looked on their online store before we went and i guess it's like i don't know if it's the year or the month but they're celebrating crocodiles yep. so they have like a bunch of swag with this ancient crocodile that i don't know the name something sucus but I didn't see anything else. I was like, oh, I kind of like you know, you have, do, you have to like shopping there. Do a few clicks to get to like the rest of the show. It's probably also the few clicks I needed to get to to realize you need to have a reservation to go there. It's okay. It worked out. We figured end. it out. So I was really thankful for that. The other thing I'm thankful for, um, even though. Okay, story time. Yay. Kelly and I are recording on a Thursday because I thought tomorrow was my five-year anniversary with Jared and... I was like, it will be not. I and unfortunately, I have a funeral tomorrow. But Jared and I are going to try to squeeze in like some coffee and then do something bigger like down the line. But I was like, what a nice th- treat it will be to like not have to record and we can spend the evening together and watch a movie and just spend some time together. So Kelly was kind enough to accommodate me and we switched recording to tonight. And literally, as I am pulling up to your house, I look at my phone to check the time and I realize. Today is me and Jared's five year anniversary. I thought it was tomorrow because I had started to so closely associate our anniversary with going to a funeral because our one year anniversary was also precipitated by a death. This is fucked. Good thing I'm not Leonardo and not super four, superstitious. Four year cycle, apparently. Um, but I so I had started to tell, like, think that 
our anniversary was on the day of the funeral. No, it's today. And Jared was feeling kind of bad because we'd both kind of spaced like, oh, God, it's like in two days, our anniversary, we both kind of forgot. And so he was feeling bad for forgetting. And now I get to tell him, Jared, I rescheduled recording to be on our anniversary because I thought our anniversary was a different day. But I love him. So I know you do. You happy guys are cute. anniversary. Yay. See, I'm happy in my relationship, so I wouldn't know you about any arsenic. poisoners yeah. of Nagarib. <laughs> I mean, you might, depending on how big a mouth they have. Oh, no. Depending on how close they stuck to Poison Club rules. All right, Kelly, what are you thankful for? What am I thankful for this week? Me. Um, no, I mean, kidding. yeah, I'm always thankful for you. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I actually saying. had a lot of fun last weekend and we got new winter coats, which is great because yes. it snowed on Tuesday. So that was needed. Minnesota's a winter nightmare. Well, and then it was like orange today because of the wildfires in Colorado. Yeah, it looked like and a then it got fucking like real dark. And I was like, are we about to have a tornado two days after it snowed? I, it was it funny. did storm, though. Like it rained and there was thunder. And I was like, Minnesota's weird. It was so funny because I was looking out the window and I grew up in Illinois. So I was like, it looks like there's about to be a tornado. And Jared, who served in Iraq, is like, it looks like there's about to be a sandstorm. And I'm like, do you know where you are right now? <laughs> <laughs> if there is a sandstorm, I won't be entirely surprised because that just seems on brand for this year in this state. So we'll see. Right, if there's murder hornets, there's bound to be a sandstorm. Fucking A. Um, but I don't know. I just It's been a good week. So I guess I'm just like thankful overall because I've had quite a f- like I've had some shitty weeks lately. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it's finally like just a normal week and actually it's it's nice I'm okay that we rescheduled even though apparently tonight's your anniversary but now I have like nothing to do all weekend and I'm actually like really excited about that because I, I, I want to like clean my house and stuff and I'm kind of excited so I'm kind for of excited to have like Friday night and then I have Saturday and then I have most of Sunday I think Justin might be having people over because D&D is canceled because Josh can't do it so everyone might come to our house but I probably won't participate because I'm lame. That's fine. And I have homework. Actually, I have homework. homework I have homework to do tonight, too. So, All right. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please rate us five stars wherever you listen. It is mm. incredibly helpful. We have really loved seeing your most recent five-star reviews. Mm. They give us all the warm... Like, I, it, it just like I some I've said this before. I sometimes go and read them if I'm having a well, really we, shitty we've, day. We've had a few lately. It's actually the same person. Let me let me pull it up quick. We also have actually turned one of our five star reviews into a shirt, which yeah. is available on our merch store. Uh, so if you're into knitting and kicking ass, we literally made a shirt for so you. So there is a guy. I assume it's a guy. His profile picture is a guy. And I'm assuming it's Lieutenant C. Young because it's LTC Young. Okay. Um, and he hasn't been writing reviews, but we see you. But he's on Podchaser. He's been rating. He's been listening to like all of them because he just rated episodes. Oh, he's rating the episodes? He, he's rated episodes three and four five stars. And we really appreciate it. Oh, my God. We sucked back then. Actually, three, well, three is where four, we started to do and four, okay. Yeah. One and two, the audio quality is sad. But so... Lieutenant, what did I say? C something. Lieutenant C Young. Yeah, Lieutenant C Young. We we see you. We see we you, Young. <laughs> we appreciate you. Thank you very much. But yes, thank you for everyone 
for listening. We love you. Uh, please like us on Facebook, Whining About Herstory, Instagram, WAH Pod. Twitter, WAH underscore pod. We have a website. And yes, I know I need to fix the, fix the contact form, but I will do that. And our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. Our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. We are on Patreon and Teespring for merch if you just search Whining About Herstory. Please, you can donate for as little as $1 a month. We are doing bonus video episode content. It's Yeah. And we're doing just a general bonus episode in our Herstory Happens series where we talk about a historical happening that we wouldn't normally talk about on the show. Except for this month because I got super sick. Shit happens. We're still doing the episode. It's just not going to be released this month. Yeah. So we'll we'll pick up again in November. Yes. Which gives me more time for both to talk about Western sex workers. Spoilers! Well, it'll be mine. Because we skipped mine. No, so I. will be mine. No, I know, but we'll do yours, and then that gives me more time to work oh, yeah. on mine. Because it has, you have until workers. December. Oh, yeah. Good thing I didn't cover that because I was thinking about it. Because I, I watched, I rewatched the Adam Runes everything on how, uh, like, basically women ruled the West. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm, I am going to rewatch it good. as one of my resources. Yeah, it's good. Spoilers. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered, spooktacular day. Bye. Bye.